Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where you explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through present day. And today we want to continue our study and look at the military life and then the political life of General Ulysses S. Grant. And so on our past two shows, we had talked about General Grant's uh, childhood and how he was raised in a very staunch abolitionist family, how he was raised in a home that, that showed a tremendous amount of quietness and piety, and how he was not particularly a very good student, but eventually his father was able to get him through their local representative an appointment to West Point. And his military career after West Point in the Mexican War and what he did there as a quartermaster, and then how he fell in love with his roommate's sister, Julia Dent. And after four years of a courtship, they were married. And one of the grooms in their wedding was James Longstreet. And he went on against to battle against Ulysses S. Grant many times throughout the Civil War. And then we talked about how Ulysses S. Grant left the military and his years as a civilian and the different occupations that he tried and that he was not successful in or did not particularly like. His father-in-law gave him 850 acres to farm, and his father-in-law gave him a slave, which Ulysses freed. When, the, when Ulysses and Juliet needed money, they could have sold the slave for about $1,000, which is a lot of money in present time. Uh, Ulysses freed the slave because he was a staunch abolitionist. And then we talked about his military, his early military career, how he, he was in the Illinois militia and the different campaigns that he was involved in the western part of the western theater of the Civil War and how that George McClellan did not like Ulysses S. Grant as they were at West Point at the same time. Uh, Grant was a year ahead of George McClellan in school, and George McClellan did not like Ulysses S. Grant on an academic level or a personal level. So McClellan refused to commission Ulysses Grant into the regular army of the United States. So Grant then helped raise Illinois militia which they were very successful in the Western part of the Western theater of the Civil War. Ultimately, Henry Halleck, who was today, we would consider him the uh, Secretary of State or in, in World War II was the um, Secretary of the Army. Uh, he also did not like Ulysses S. Grant. So Halleck also refused to commission Grant in the regular United States military until Grant, with the Illinois militia, had a lot of success in the state of Kentucky. And we looked at how Kentucky was an extremely important state because it, it stayed under Union control and it was a neutral state and it was a border state. So keeping Kentucky in the Union was extremely important. And that was overwhelmingly because of the success of Ulysses S. Grant and the Illinois militia. Finally, Grant then is commissioned in the United States Regular Army, 
and we see Grant's success in the West at Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson, then down at Shiloh, and then at Corinth, and then he moves down to Vicksburg, and the, the siege of Vicksburg lasted six weeks, and then after six weeks with Grant's siege of Vicksburg, the Confederate Army there surrenders, Vicksburg falls to the Union Army under Ulysses S. Grant, and now the Union controls the Mississippi River from the beginning all the way down to, to New Orleans, and now the western part of the Anaconda Plan is now being controlled by the Union, and now the Union has a hero in general, Ulysses S. Grant. That brings us up to where the war in the East has not been going well. For two years, Robert E. Lee is winning every battle against several different commanding generals of the Army of the Potomac. At Gettysburg, General Meade, who had just recently been instilled as the commanding general of the Army of the Potomac, General Meade defeats Robert E. Lee's army at Gettysburg, which was July 1 through 3 of 1863. The next day, July 4th, Vicksburg falls to Grant's army. And Vicksburg actually, in my world, is the actual turning point of the Civil War, not Gettysburg. As important as Gettysburg was, the fall of Vicksburg now solidifies the Mississippi River for the Union Army. So then a few months goes by, President Lincoln promotes General Grant to be a, the major general of the regular army after Vicksburg. And then finally, President Lincoln decides he is going to bring General Grant to the east, particularly because in the south, the campaign around Chattanooga and Chickamauga was not necessarily going well for the uh, Union Army there under General Rosecrans. So Lincoln brought General Grant east, and of course, with General Grant comes General William Tecumseh Sherman. Grant was able to have the Army break through at Chattanooga to break through the siege. The Union Army was, was actually cornered in Chattanooga, and the Union general there that broke through the Confederate lines there was George Thomas. And George Thomas, if you know anything about George Thomas, there's a wonderful book called The Rock of Chickamauga. And it was George Thomas who held off the Confederate army at Chickamauga so the Union army could retreat north inside Chattanooga. And then it was George Thomas who was able to break through the Confederate lines at Chattanooga. And George Thomas, being a Virginian, he never got his just due as any Union general. The only Union general that did not lose a battle was all throughout the war was George Thomas. But because he was a Virginian, uh, he was given some sort of being suspect that he might turn, which he never did. He remained loyal to the Union, and his saying was, West Point educated me. I dedicated my military career to the United States of America. I will remain loyal to the Union as the United States of America. And so George Thomas is a whole other story in and of itself. Then 
In March of 1864, President Lincoln promotes General Grant to being a lieutenant general, and he is now commanding all the Union armies. So he is now overseeing every Union army that's in the field fighting. And the importance there that being appointed to lieutenant general, he is the first person to receive this rank since George Washington which is extremely important to understand that now General Grant, who was refused by George McClellan and Henry Halleck, who was often denigrated because of the rumors of General Grant's drinking and his lackadaisicalness was absolute rumor, not true. Now General Grant is overseeing every Union army, and he is now a lieutenant general holding the same rank as George Washington. So Ulysses S. Grant is now in charge of about 550,000 Union soldiers in each of the different armies. So what General Grant decides to do is to take an active part in the Army of the Potomac, which is still being commanded by General George Meade. Meade offered his resignation to General Grant so that Grant could be the commanding general, and General Grant refused Meade's voluntary resignation and said that George Meade and William Tecumseh Sherman are his two most important generals. So Meade, General Meade, I will not accept your resignation. So General Meade stays over top of or commanding the Army of the Potomac. General Grant, now the commanding officer of all the Union armies, he's going to take an active role in the Army of the Potomac because he knows that the only way to defeat Robert E. Lee's army, the Army of Northern Virginia, is that unfortunately General Grant knows that Lee's army must be annihilated. So Grant comes up with a whole different philosophy of attack. In the South, Benjamin Butler is going to attack from the Southeast, and he's going to come up through Mobile. And Franz Siegel, he's going to capture the railroads in the Shenandoah Valley, and he's going to come up. And if you remember, General Sherman in December takes Atlanta, comes over to the coast, over to Savannah, and General Sherman is now coming north. So they're going to surround and cut off Robert E. Lee's army. So that's what Grant's strategy was in going after General Robert E. Lee's army. So from Washington down through Virginia, General Grant and General Meade continue to attack the Army of Northern Virginia and fight Robert E. Lee's army. And these were terrible, terrible battles, terrible losses. Grant knows and understands that with the loss of men, which he took very seriously, he can get more men coming into the army, he can get resupplied, and he knows that General Robert E. Lee was losing supplies, was losing men, it will become a war of attrition. So General Grant is going to continue to attack Robert E. Lee's army, regardless of the outcome of the battle. Grant is going to continue to slide his army south with Meade all the way down to south of Richmond. And that's where we see what the success was. 
So if you know anything about what Grant did, the wilderness, Spotsylvania, Cold Harbor, North Anna are all tremendous battles and they're tremendously lost men at all these battles for both sides. And at Cold Harbor, General Grant made a major mistake and he admitted that mistake when when he said that was a major mistake. It's an unfortunate mistake. I should have never have done what I did there and I will never do it again. At Cold Harbor, Lee's army is entrenched. General Grant has the Army of the Potomac attack General Grant's entrenched army on open fields. And the carnage there was just mind-boggling. 7,000 Union soldiers are killed in 20 minutes at Cold Harbor. And over 13,000 casualties of the Union Army alone at Cold Harbor. And General Grant readily admitted his serious mistake there and vowed that he would never do that again. So the wilderness, which was the second battle in the wilderness, Spotsylvania, where the Army of the Potomac is able to break through Robert E. Lee's lines, Cold Harbor is a tremendous carnage, and then we have North Anna, and whatever the outcome of the battle is, General Grant is going to have the Army of the Potomac continue to slide south for the reason that Grant knows that Lee will protect Richmond. And ironically, every Union general, except for George Meade, and then Ulysses S. Grant, when they were in charge of the Army of the Potomac, said that they were going to take Richmond. Meade knows, Grant knows, that taking Richmond would not end the war. What would end the war is annihilating the Army of Northern Virginia, and the other Confederate armies would then surrender. So Grant moves, slides south. He comes all the way down to Petersburg, which is about 30, 40 miles south of Richmond. And what's important is Petersburg. It's the railroad junction, and that is the railroad junction that leads right into Richmond, which is north of Petersburg. So if the railroad is cut off, the Confederate supply lines into Richmond will be cut off. General Lee understands this. General Grant understands this. So Lee entrenches at Petersburg, and he begins to entrench from Petersburg north up to Richmond. And it's exactly what General Grant wanted him to do, because Grant has four times the amount of men in the Army of Potomac that Lee has. So Lee stretches out his lines. He has to thin out his lines as Grant is edging his way north towards Richmond. And then Grant or General Lee has to make two entrenchments to hold back the Army of the Potomac there. And then after a nine-month siege, Grant finally breaks through the lines at Petersburg. And for you that are are familiar with the Battle of the Crater, that's where the Battle of the Crater takes place. And that's a whole other story in and of itself, and a tragic story in and of itself. But Grant, after a nine-month siege at Petersburg, finally breaks through at the beginning of April. So General Robert E. Lee has to move to the west. He is moving to the west. And the Confederate army that was left in Richmond was sent word, and Lee sent word to President Jefferson Davis that he can no longer hold Petersburg. Petersburg has fell. 
he is moving west, and it was time for General for Thomas for the president to get out of Richmond and get out of there. So some of the Confederate army began to burn the supplies in Richmond, and it was very dry, and part of the city began to burn. Jefferson Davis vacated Richmond, so part of Grant's army that went into Richmond actually put the fires out in Richmond. Many textbooks would say that the Union Army burned Richmond. That is not true. The Union Army put the fires out that the Confederate Army started to destroy what supplies they had left. And that's where we see eventually you see uh, President Lincoln comes down into Richmond. But after the fall of Richmond, Robert E. Lee is moving west and his men are emaciated. They're starving. They really have very few military supplies left. They have very little food supplies. And as they move west, some of Lee's generals suggested that he disperses the army and they fight a guerrilla war. And, and Lee was totally opposed to that. So eventually, General Grant corners Lee at Appomattox, Appomattox Courthouse, and that is where General Lee decides that he needs to surrender his army. So we see the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia at Appomattox in the, at the, in the McLean House. And interestingly, ironically, the first battle of Bull Run, the McLean family owned a lot of that land at Bull Run. And Mr. McLean realized that it's not going to be safe. So he moved his whole family inland. He moved them western to the western part of Virginia to get away from the war. And ironically, in his house at Appomattox, the McLean house at Appomattox is where Robert Lee surrenders his army. So Almost four years later, the McLeans actually see part of the war beginning at Bull Run. And then four years later, they see the beginning of the end of the war at Appomattox inside of their house. President Lincoln gives Grant full authority for the surrender terms. General Lee thought that he was going to be arrested. His officers were going to be arrested. His army was going to be arrested. But General Grant offered these conditions. One, no one's going to jail. All Confederates are pardoned. All the Confederates can keep their handguns and their private baggage. If they own a horse, they can keep their own horses. And they were all given three days rations and simply disperse your army, General Lee, and go home. It's over. And... General Lee, one of General Lee's last statements was that I not only surrender my army to President Lincoln, but I also surrender this army to the graciousness of General Ulysses S. Grant. And so General Lee told General Grant that his men were starving. General Grant said to his quarter, quartermaster, the commissary, go feed Robert E. Lee's army. And the commissary said, you want us to feed Confederates? And General Grant said, no, I want you to go and feed Americans. And so the attitude that General Grant had at Appomattox 
really begins to try to set the temperature for the beginning of the healing of the nation. And so this is where we see this, and General Lee knew this, and General Grant knew this, because now that the war was coming to a close, we have a whole nother battle to put unity back into this union, and now to reconstruct so physically so much of the South. Two more Confederate armies are still out there fighting. Eventually, they do surrender within six weeks. And so officially, the war is now officially over about six weeks after General Lee signs the surrender of his army at Appomattox. General Grant then is ordered into Washington, D.C. to have meetings with President Lincoln. President Lincoln invited General Grant and Mrs. Grant to accompany them to Ford's Theater to see our American cousin. And Julie was not comfortable around Mary Todd Lincoln. So she suggested to her husband that they do not go to the theater because she is uncomfortable and just tell the president that they're going to see their children over New Jersey, which they began to do. Ironically, the night that President Lincoln is assassinated, John Wilkes Booth was under the impression that the Grants would also be at Ford C there to see our American cousin with President and Mrs. Lincoln. How much of our history would have been different if General Grant was at Ford's Theater that night? So unfortunately, the president is assassinated at Ford's Theater. The Grants are on their way into New Jersey. They are stopped the next morning with a uh, messenger that he must return to Washington, D.C., because President Lincoln had been assassinated. So the Grants turn around, they go back into Washington, D.C., and now Grant has a tremendous responsibility because he is the highest-ranking general in the Union Army to try to calm down the country, to go through the mourning process, to protect a now new sitting president, which was Andrew Johnson, and now begin to still oversee the army and everything that was going to take place after the war was over as far as trying to put union, unity back into this nation. So Grant has a tremendous job that he still must fulfill after the war is over and in between him being the, the, the lieutenant general of all the union armies and politically going toe-to-toe oftentimes with Andrew Johnson who General Grant opposed many of his policies and oftentimes threatened to resign according to Andrew Johnson's positions on the South, of which Andrew Johnson finally reneged. And then we see, you know, what Ulysses S. Grant did as president. So we have one more that we want to talk about, and that is the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. This was a very, very, very broad overview of his military career. And if we remember, when Congress gave out the fifth star during World War II, they posthumously first gave it to General George Washington. And the second person to receive the fifth star was General Ulysses S. Grant. So 
the idea that he was a stumble bum or just a drunk or he wasn't very smart is just a pure myth that is absolutely not true, particularly when you look at the military career of Ulysses S. Grant and the success that Grant had as a general and then what he was able to do before he was president of the United States to help calm things down after the assassination of President Lincoln. So this is 1180 AM WFYL. We are working for your liberty. 